Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis how Abraham arrived to Canaan and encountered an unexpected famine, just like Job did in his days. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's Tom Cantor with today's teaching. Okay, let's, uh, you all ready? Okay, we're going to continue in our book in the study of Genesis. We're in Genesis chapter 12. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today, this morning, Lord, with very hungry hearts. And we know, Lord, that that hunger within us can only be filled by you and your word. And so, Lord, we pray, feed us, as the song says, till we want no more. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Genesis 12, start uh, verse 10. Genesis 12, verse 10. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, Behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass that when Abraham was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abram well for her sake, and he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife, And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why dost thou not tell me that she is thy wife? Why saidest thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore, behold thy wife. Take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. Now, so far in our study, we've seen how Abraham was called to go to Canaan. We've seen how he looked forward to go to Canaan. We see how he, he got to Canaan. He tried to settle down in Canaan. And he, when he first arrived in this plain of Moray, he built an altar there. And probably, we're led to believe that probably it was the Canaanite that forced him to move on to the mountain. He tried to settle down there. He built another altar there. Probably it was the famine that again forced him to, to move from that mountain, as we've seen how he just kept, as it says there, journeying south, looking for grazing grounds probably for his flocks. And in the end, because of the Canaanite and because of the famine, Abraham just watches the land of Canaan just slip by. He just watches the land of Canaan just, just slip out of his hands, as he keeps moving south. And when we think of Abraham, when he first came to Canaan, we think of him there, we can see a happy Abraham, and as Abraham says to himself, at last, I've arrived in Canaan. Canaan is mine. And we can just see Abraham, he's he's building the altar there, and he's he's setting up his household, and and he's telling everybody in his household, you know what? God told me that this is the place that he's giving. This is the place right here. And and so it's time to unpack. It's time to settle down because this is our new home. This is the new home that God's given to us. And why should not 
Abraham have thought that? Because after all, who was the one who told him this is the land? It was the great Adonalom. It was the great ruler of the universe. The great ruler of the universe. The one who called him to leave Ur. And he called, and he called him, and he left. And the one that brought him through Haran, and he went through Haran and came to this land. And when he arrived there, this is the one who told him, this is the land. This is it. Right here. You've come. So we can imagine Abraham's shock when the Canaanite shows up and tells him to get out, tells him to leave. And, you know, Abraham could have said to him, hey, what's the matter with you guys? Didn't you get the memo? <laughs> you know, didn't you get the memo from heaven? God gave me this land. And uh, why are you being so hostile? It's your fault that I'm being driven from this plain in Canaan that God has given to me. And we can imagine Abraham's shock when he settled into the mountain there and he builds a second altar and there's no rain. So there's no, now there's a famine and now he's, and Abraham has to leave again the mountain. And Abraham could have looked up to the waterless clouds and say, what's the matter with you guys? Didn't you get the memo <laughs> from heaven that you're supposed to bring water so I can stay here? Why aren't you giving me rain for my flocks? It's your fault. I'm being driven from this mountain here in Canaan. God gave it to me. And we can imagine from verse 9, where it says, And Abraham journeyed, going on still toward the south, that as he was traveling through Canaan, you get that picture there, he's journeying, going still on toward the south, that what's happening with him is that he is watching Canaan be taken away from him as he's going on. He's watching this as it goes on. It says there in verse 10, that the famine was grievous in the land. So the famine wouldn't let Abram stay anywhere. And as he keeps on moving through, he keeps on saying you know, to himself, what's going on here? And our hearts really go out to Abram as we see him in this state. We wa- he watches Canaan being taken away from him. You know, my, my grandparents, along with my great-grandparents, they left Lithuania, my grandmother, from Kiev, and, and she left Kiev because of Russian pogroms, pogroms, and there were pogroms all the time, pogroms. And in Lithuania, there were pogroms, so they, they came. And pogrom, that's a Russian word, pogrom. It comes from the word gromit. It means to have an organized massacre, an organized destruction of the Jewish people. So there, and there were many pogroms in, in Russia where the Russians would come into a Jewish community. They would destroy the Jewish homes. They would destroy the Jewish centers, the Jewish businesses, the Jewish properties, loot the wealth of the Jews, and kill the Jews. And they were organized. That's what the word means, gromit, the organized massacre. There were famous pogroms. The, Rush, the Warsaw pogrom was in 1881, and Kiev had a couple of pogroms, one in 1905, another one in 1910. And they were organized, so the Jews always knew in advance that the pogroms were coming. And that's why they left. Many of them left and they, when they knew that. So for the Jews in the 19th and the 20th century, the pogroms meant that the Jews had to watch all be taken away from them. They knew it was coming. That's why Fiddler on the Roof, you know, they, they left early before the Russians got there, their pogrom, because, you know, must we leave Anatevka, you know, land that I love and so forth. Well, we'll have to go another place. Anyway, so that was the whole background there. And in fact, when the Russians referred to what the Nazis were doing, they didn't call it a holocaust. They said it was a German pogrom. Anyway, so they watched all of their possessions and everything being taken away from them. And what do you do when you're in that position 
or when you're Abraham and you're watching something that you had be taken away from you. What do you do when you watch what God has given to you be taken away? You know, there's one man in the Bible that had more experience going through this, you know who I'm referring to, than anyone else. Who is that? That's him. And he wrote guidance for us. He wrote some guidance for us, and he gave us four rules, we could call them, the four rules of Job. And the first three rules, turn to it please, is in Job chapter 9, verse 12. Job gives us four rules, Job's four rules, for what to do when something is taken away from you. And uh, the first three rules are found in in Job 9.12, where it says, Behold, he taketh away, who can hinder him? Who will say unto him, What doest thou? So, Job's first rule is, Behold, he taketh away. Behold, as we know in the Bible, is always the word for stop, this is important, Look at this, consider this, it's not what you think, so really take careful note of this. This word along with Shema here, this is a similar type of word. And so he says, now Job could have said from his book in Job 115, I see the Sabaeans who came down and killed my servants and stole my oxen and my asses. Curse those Sabaeans. Job could have said from the 16th, 116, Job 116, I see fire from the skies that came down, burned up my sheep and my servants, cursed that fire. He could have said for verse 17, Job 117, I see Chaldeans. I see Chaldeans in Alcohol. Anyway, he could have said, I see Chaldeans divided into three bands, and they stole my camels, they killed my servants, cursed those Chaldeans. He could have said in verse 19 of Job 1, I see a great wind that caused my house on the four corners to fall down and kill all my sons and my daughters, curse that wind. He could have done that, but he didn't say that. He did not say, I saw the Sabaeans and I saw the wind and the fire and the Chaldeans, but Job said, I saw God. Behold, the Lord, he said, taketh away. That was his first rule. His first rule is, that when something comes to a loss, there are no second causes. There's only one cause, and that's God. Behold, he taketh away. That's the first rule. And the Job's first rule, behold, he taketh away. Then, Job has a second rule for us in this verse, and it is, who can hinder him? Who can hinder him? Now, Job said, you know, Job might have said, I don't agree, but I can't hinder God. And so we have to accept it. If God is going to use the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans and the fire and the wind to take away, we have to accept it and not try to spend our lives trying to prevent it or trying to get even with them for doing that. So his second rule is, who can hinder him? And Job's third rule is, who will say to him, what doest thou? And Job's third rule is, don't question the goodness of God. Don't question the wisdom of God. Trust God that when he's taking away, it's always in our best interest. It's in our best interest. So whenever God takes something away, he's just wanting to give us an upgrade. You know, I used to do a lot of traveling. So when the airlines want to give you an upgrade on your seat, the first thing they do is take your ticket away, take your old ticket away, and then they tear it up. That's a very disturbing sight <laughs> because they haven't given you the new, they don't give you the new ticket until they first take your old ticket and tear it up because they don't want you to have two tickets. 
And so if you said, you're not taking my ticket away, <laughs> I'm not giving you my ticket, I paid a lot of money for that ticket, whatever, then you don't get the upgraded ticket, see? That's the way it works. They say, okay, we'll go somebody else give it. So you have to give up your old ticket and watch them tear it up before you get the new upgraded seat. And there's those seconds there when you don't have any ticket. You know, you watched your old ticket get torn up, and then you feel the loss while they print out your new ticket before they give you the new upgraded ticket. That's, that's the time when you might say to the ticket agent, what doest thou? <laughs> you know? Well, that's the way it is with God. He takes away the old so that he can replace it with better. And that's the third rule is that during the time when God is taking away the old, don't say to God, what are you doing? What, do you, what doest thou? Now, his first, fourth rule, you might want to turn to this, Job 121. His fourth rule in Job 121, Job said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So Job's fourth rule is, after his first rule of seeing that, it, that it's God who has taken away, after the second rule of seeing that God can't be stopped, <laughs> After the third rule of not questioning the goodness of God and taking away. But the fourth rule now is to bless God for taking away. In other words, to thank him. It's to thank him. That's Job's fourth rule. It's to not curse the Sabaeans, the fire, the Chaldeans, and the wind. And it's to not take the advice of Job's wife in Job 2.9, where she said, then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine honor? Honor? Does thy still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. No. Job's fourth, fourth rule is not to curse God for taking away. Job's fourth rule is to bless God. And he tells us how to do that. And he says, you have to consider three facts. Number one, the Lord gave. So you realize that God gave good things to us. And if he takes away... He's in the mode of giving good things, so he wants to give something better. And then number two, naked came I out of my mother's womb. So no, no baby is born with a bank account in his hand, or a deed. Dad, today you talked about what Job's wife said to him in Job 2.9. When she challenged him with the words, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. What did she mean when she said, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Well, David, I'm glad you asked that question. That's very interesting what she was saying because what she said, what Job knew what she said, all centered around that word integrity. The word integrity in Hebrew is the word tuma, which comes from the word tom, which is my name in Hebrew. Tom means completeness or innocence. So what she was saying here was that to her husband was that, are you still going to keep your completeness? Are you still going to keep your wholeness? Are you still going to keep your wholeheartedness, your complete heartedness toward God? Aren't you going to, why don't you just let there be a crack, let there be a division within your heart? And if that division comes within your heart, then you'll follow my advice, which her advice was to Curse God and die. 
What Job said in Job 121 before, he had made this statement, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the words of a man whose heart is complete, a man whose heart is not divided, a man whose heart is absolutely whole, holy in love with God, holy blessing God, holy saying, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. That's the, that's the expression of a man who is wholehearted in his love and his devotion to God. And therefore, he's an example to us of a person who is holy in love with God. There's not one part of Job's heart that is going to be against God. There's not one part in Job's heart that is going to do what she said, curse God and die. He had this wholeness to it. He had this integrity. He had this tuma. He had this tome, this this completeness, or another translation for tome is the word innocence. And really, innocence is really a person who has a whole heart toward God. This is what David meant in Psalm 9-1 when he said, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. This same word, integrity, that she used, dost thou still retain thine integrity, thy tuma, um, it was used in Proverbs 11-3 where Solomon wrote, the integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. In other words, what Solomon was saying was that the completeness, the tuma, the innocence, the wholeheartedness of the upright shall guide them. And that was true because where his wife, Job's wife, was saying, don't retain your tuma, don't retain your completeness. Let there be another opinion. Let there be another side And that side will look at all the calamities that has happened to you and will come to the conclusion that what you should do is curse God and just die. Now, what what Solomon is saying here is that if you say no to that and you say, I will keep a whole heart in spite of every bad thing, every miserable thing that has happened to me, I will not let those miserable things, those bad things lead me into a divided heart where I would curse God and die. I won't do that. I will hold on. I will retain my complete wholeheartedness toward God. And Solomon says, if you do that, if you say, I will keep the whole heart, the integrity toward God, that will guide you. That will guide you through all the miserable things in life that we have to go through where we will say, Look, I didn't deserve any of this. The Lord gave. The Lord has the right because he gave. He can take it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the integrity that guides them. But Solomon says, on the other hand, to do what Job's wife said to do is perverseness. It's to allow the crack, the divided heart to come in. And Solomon says, the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. You know, when God was saying the problem with Israel, the problem with the Jewish people during the days of Hosea, 
And he described the Jewish people in Hosea 10.1 through 2 as saying, Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself. According to the multitude of his fruit, he hath increased the altars. According to the goodness of the land, they have made goodly images. So here he's describing a terrible situation, and may it never be in us, where he says Israel at that time was empty. There was no fruit. It was like when the Lord Jesus Christ came to the fig tree and found no fruit. He said they were an empty vine. Then what were they doing? Well, they were bringing forth fruit, but it was fruit to themselves. It was no fruit for God. They were only living for themselves. Their, their, their only desire was to, for, to make themselves happy and comfortable. And, and who needs God was their attitude. And God said that's an empty vine that brings fruit unto themselves. And then he described in Hosea 10, 2, what the root problem was. And he said, their heart is divided. And now they be found faulty. See, he said their heart was divided. They had God plus. Well, he says, yeah, we should uh, make God happy, but we should make ourselves happy. That's a divided heart. We should do what pleases God. We should also do what pleases ourselves. If sin makes us happy, why not do it? But you can be religious along the way as well. That's a divided heart. And the divided heart led to an empty vine and led to Israel only bringing fruit to themselves. This was a situation with Elijah in the day when he was standing on top of Mount Carmel. And there was the great contest between God and Baal. And so Elijah said, and he challenged the people in 1 Kings 18.21, where it says, And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. See, he said the problem with the people is that they were halting. They were limping. They were skipping along. It's what the word means. They couldn't make up their mind. They were between the two opinions. God is good. Yeah, so let's, let's, let's let the Lord be our God. But Baal is good also, so let's all just tolerate everything. And, and, and Baal's good, God's good, everything's good. And he's saying, you're halting between two opinions. And so Elijah was saying to them, look, if the Lord is God, follow him with a whole heart. If Baal is your God, follow him with your whole heart. Elijah was saying, God would rather have you on one side of the fence or the other, but not down the middle. And what happened was, the tragedy was, as it says, and the people answered him, not a word, which showed that they were continuing down that road of middle of the ground. This is what God was saying to the church of Laodicea in Revelation three fifteen through 20. He was talking about this tragedy of having a divided heart, this tragedy of not retaining their integrity, their tuma, their completeness. And he said, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee, I will vomit thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with good and have need of nothing, and knowest not thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now we'll stop here. 
How could there be such a difference of opinion? How could it be that God looks on them and he sees wretchedness, miserableness, poverty, blindness, nakedness? That's how he describes them. But they, looking at the mirror and seizing themselves, says, I don't agree. I'm rich. I'm increased with goods. I have need of nothing. How could there be such a difference of opinion? That's why God said in this passage that he counsels them to buy from him I saw that they might see. It's all about keeping a whole heart, and only God can let us have the eyesight so that we'll keep a whole heart before him. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. This month, Tom Cantor is offering his latest book, Whosoever Will versus Fatalism. Now, this book will help you to scripturally answer the questions, what is fatalistic Calvinism? And who can resist God's will to be saved? And what are chosen and changed children? And did God predestinate people to die and go to hell? This book will show you how we're all faced with a personal crisis of obedience, just as Joseph and Eve both faced crises. Now, this book examines the character of God and His promises and compares them with the teachings of fatalistic Calvinism and provokes us with the question, what if God misled? Now, the most eye-opening part of this book from Tom Cantor is that Tom Cantor himself was once a fatalistic Calvinist. So if you'd like a copy of this new book, call us today at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Or you can go to friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Go to our online resource section, Find Tom Cantor's materials, and you can order the book right there at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 1-800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Tom Cantor and join us tomorrow.